Good morning, Thrive City. So good to see so many of you, especially on this holiday weekend. I'm honored that you would choose to spend just a little bit of us, a little bit of your your weekend with us. Uh, Quick note, for those of you that have been waiting for coffee, there's coffee back there. Can I get an amen, a shot of joy? Hallelujah. If you see some of the team just running around a little extra caffeinated, you know why. That has been a long time coming. I have a lot of stuff to get through today, so I'm going to jump in. The title of my message this morning is Break the Cycle, Finding True Freedom. This time of the year, especially around the 4th of July, we hear a lot about freedom and independence, understandably centered around our country's history and all those different events that we can be thankful for. But there is a lot to be said about these themes within the world of Christianity. So the Bible and Jesus, they both actually say a lot about this idea of living in freedom. But oftentimes, it does not necessarily align with our understanding of what we think that it means. So that's what we want to explore this morning. But before we jump in, uh, let me pray for us and our time together. And then I want to share some quick updates and some interesting stories that have been happening around uh, our church this past week. It's been a wild ride. But Jesus, we thank you this morning for the freedom that you so freely offer. This freedom that goes beyond anything else that we could possibly imagine. We thank you for being a God of miracles, a God who works on our behalf, a God who is lovingly invested in our lives. Jesus, you love us so deeply and unconditionally, and we we know that you have such a better way of living for us, and we thank you for being a God of grace and a God of second chances. We ask that you would help us to to find and to experience this freedom from our past and our, our shame and our guilt and our addictions. So Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to your leading, and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So real quick, let me tell you about some of the events of this past week, and uh, it might seem a little random at first, but I promise you it is applicable to the message as a whole. But many of you know, uh, last weekend we had a pipe burst. Uh, Never a great experience. Uh, Like I told many of you, I walked through that door and heard water running, and I was like, we're not doing a baptism. Uh, So hearing water running when it should not be is never a good thing. Uh, But it caused several rooms in the back here, as well as the basement, to flood. So if you go downstairs at all, you may notice things look a little hectic. Uh, You may notice that we have a lot of things dragged out of those back rooms. Huge thank you to everybody who helped empty them. Uh, Things look a little chaotic right now, but I promise you, good things are happening. Service Master is here drying us out. There are like 600 different fans uh, drying out every single wall and crevice, uh, making sure that we don't run into any mold issues, different things like that. But really quickly, I want to speak to the positives of this situation. It's a little hectic. There's, there, there's uh, dust being blown everywhere. But there's positives that come from it. Uh, this is an old building that was vacant for several years before we took possession of it. And while we have been able to do a lot of different work and make some repairs and some upgrades, there's still a lot to be done, Right? For example, other than the bathrooms downstairs, we really haven't been able to touch 
the basement. How many of you have like never seen the full basement downstairs? Probably a few of you, right? It's a, it's a beautiful sized basement that has a wonderful kitchen that has space for us to do church dinners, uh, gatherings, all sorts of different events. Well, when service master came to help clean up the water, they were like, hey, do you want us to get rid of this carpet? Yes, I do. I would love it if you did that. And so what they have done is they have essentially jump-started our ability to get the basement up and running to a point where we are able to utilize it as a church. This mic's a little hot. There we go. So for a few seconds, what I want us to do is to just look past the mess in the corners and the sound of the fans in the background. And what I want us to do in our mind's eye is replace them with the sounds of children playing and the smells of a church barbecue hosting the community. I want us to imagine laughter and joy as we host nights of worship and and conferences and different events. And there is so much potential and possibility for this building. And God, we thank you for leading us here. And even though it has been difficult to see these different things happen, God, we know that you are working for the greater good, that your hand is upon us. So Jesus, help us to dream big for this place. That even though the church isn't a building, boy, does it help to have one. So God, we thank you for what you're doing. So that's not the end of what happened this week. The pipe burst on Saturday. We talked a little bit about it. On Sunday, service master came in on Monday. You know what else happened on Monday? We had our first break-in. Can I get an amen? Yeah, breaking and entering. A good old B&E. Uh, I had stepped out of the office for a quick meeting. It was the middle of the day, and I got an alert from our security cameras that there was uh, motion in our church building, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm not there. Who is there? And I looked at the cameras, and I see someone that I don't recognize uh, exiting out that door with a piece of equipment, specifically a rug doctor that we were using to help clean up the carpets from the pipe bursting. At this point, I freak out thinking that there's somebody who has pulled up a U-Haul truck that is just getting ready to empty out every piece of equipment that we have in this building. Like I said, it was the middle of the day, and I had simply stepped out for a meeting, so my laptop, my iPad, everything was in my office, all of our cameras and our lights and our microphones and our musical equipment was all there. And I, I was riding my motorcycle, so after I had called 911, I evil Knievel it all the way back to the church. Don't tell my wife how fast I was going. And I hop off my bike and I start talking to the cops, and they think I'm kind of crazy. Because the only thing that was stolen was the rug doctor. Nothing else. My computer was on my desk. My iPad was right next to it. Everything that you see around you was in place. The only thing that was gone was the rug doctor. So I give the cops all the, all the footage and the information and the timestamps and everything that I have of this man entering our church. We figure out how he did it and we make sure that the building's secure. That night, before I left the church, I started asking around a couple of the neighbors that were out and walking around. Hey, have you, uh, you happened to see this guy? We, we just got broken into today. And they were like, yeah, we have seen that guy. Oh. Interesting. So later that night, I posted his photo on a couple of the neighborhood Facebook groups that I'm a part of. And within a couple hours, all of a sudden I have this man's name 
his address, his criminal history, <laughs> the business he runs from his home, all sorts of information about this guy. And I was like, okay, before I get ahead of myself, I, t- I don't want to start accusing somebody that is completely innocent. The next day, I show up to church, and I go to the street that this man supposedly lives on. And I start asking a couple of the neighbors, hey, do you happen to recognize this guy in this photo? And they're like, oh, yeah, yep, we know, we know who he is. We know right where he lives. And they, they point to his house, which is the house that I suspected. And I was like, wow, I did not expect to be uh, playing detective this week. So I, before I could give this updated information to the officers and the detectives that were working on the case, I get a message from one of the neighbors saying, hey, I just saw this man unloading the rug doctor from his truck and he hid it alongside of his house. And I was like, aha, we got him. This is it. Just feeling like I was living in the episode, in the episode of Cops or like Reno 911 or something. And again, before I can let the cops know, I'm back here in my office, you know, getting all hyped up that we're about to see this like, you know, the wrath of the Syracuse Police Department rain down on this man. <laughs> Just, Dan, you probably think I'm crazy at this point. But uh, Before I could do anything, I look out this door and I see the rug doctor on the sidewalk. He returned it. Next to it is a crumpled up piece of paper that I thought was trash, but I picked it up. It's a note from this man saying how sorry he is, how guilty he feels, how he made a wrong decision, and he wanted to make it right. What? Well, that just changed the story. And still, I I didn't want to approach someone and have it be a case of mistaken identity, but this man wrote this note and this apology on a piece of mail with his name and his address clearly listed. So not only was it probably the best piece of evidence and confession that you could possibly get, but it was a confirmation of who this man was and who I thought that he was. And in that moment, I don't know what I felt, but I knew I have to go talk to this guy. And I'm sorry if I get emotional. It seems to be a habit of mine lately, but it's because we've been going through a lot. I was like, I have to go talk to this guy. He lives right around the corner. And so I drive over there and I walk up to his house and I knock on his door and his sister comes and she's like, who are, you? Who are you? Like, are you the cops? Like, what's going on? And I kind of explained to her the situation. Look, I'm not trying to get this guy in trouble. I just want to talk to him. She goes inside, and a couple minutes later, she brings this guy out. And immediately, I'm like, yep, it's him. I recognize him from the photo, from our cameras. And we start talking, and I'm just kind of like, hey, man, t- tell me what happened. And he just starts crying. Saying, man, like, I'm so sorry. I've been in just such a, a difficult place in my life. And he sits down on, his, on the porch and he's just kind of like holding his head in his hands. And I said, man, can I pray for you? And I got to pray with this man and tell him all about Jesus. And I got to hug him and I got to forgive him and tell him like, look, man, like I'm messed up just like you. I've made bad decisions too, but thankfully like God loves us and he forgives us and we forgive you. And he's like, hey, if you ever need work done at the church, like, let me know. And I'm like, I will. Um, And still, it messes me up because I was not expecting that day, after being so angry that this guy broke into my church, he started stealing stuff. What gives you the right and the nerve 
God like slapped me in the face. He was like, you are no better than this man. How dare you judge him? And in that, ooh, Jesus. In that moment, it was so beautiful because I got to hug him and I like turn around and I see all these neighbors like on their porch, like watching what is going on. And our church just got like the best reputation possible down that street with those neighbors and with that man. Um, <clears throat> so this is not my message, but it's certainly part of it. I feel like I could have a gospel close and we could just put a bow on this, but what a beautiful example of God's grace and the gospel. And we got the rug doctor back. <laughs> um, as I stood on the porch of this man's house, it reminded me of a place that I have been all too often, and I'm sure that you can agree. This place of feeling stuck and this, this place of feeling caught in the vicious cycle of sin. This is a vicious cycle where, where I know that I have messed up and, and I'm trying to make the most of the situation only to find myself messing up again. And, and before you know it, I just feel burnt out on the pressure to perform. And I start to think, is, is any of this worth it anyway? I can't seem to change. I can't seem to do anything right. I said this to the team earlier, but, but one of the first things that you always hear about Christianity is Jesus saves. Well, if Jesus saves, then why do I still feel so stuck? Well, you see, it's because many of us develop a misunderstanding of sin and of salvation and what freedom in Christ actually looks like. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And if we are honest, I think that all of us would admit at some point in our lives to feeling stuck in this cycle. I know that Jesus brings freedom, but I certainly don't feel it right now. It's those moments, oftentimes behind closed doors, when no one else is around and you feel that tug and that pull in your heart. And you know that the decision that you're about to make is not the right one, but you can't seem to stop yourself. And there are other times where it feels like Christianity itself, I'm going to be really honest with you real quick. Don't be weirded out that your pastor thinks this sometimes. But it seems like Christianity is opposed to freedom. Why can't I do anything fun? Right? Can I get an amen? Right? You start hearing about church and Christianity. You're like, well, that sounds great. But, like, there's also all these other things that I kind of, like, like doing. You're telling me I can't do them? Well, how often do we confuse freedom for individuality and just the, the release from any rule or regulation? Well, what I want us to do is to look within Scripture this morning and see what God has to say about this concept of freedom and breaking the cycle of sin. Well, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, we find Jesus having a conversation with a group of Jews that had been following him. As Jesus continued to teach, there was a group of them that were interested in what he was teaching. Scripture says that they believed him and what he was saying, but they were, what they were doing is they were really looking to learn more. Imagine them hearing the words of Jesus and kind of leaning in going, okay, like you have my attention, tell me more. I'm going to be reading out of John 
chapter 8, verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. What are you talking about? We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, if we stop right there, this objection raised by the Jews is categorically false. Were they not currently under Roman occupation? Right? Isn't there a famous story that many of us know about Israel being led out of captivity? Because they had lived as slaves in Egypt for generations. What did they mean? They have never been enslaved to anyone. They clearly did not understand what Jesus was talking about. And while they were thinking that Jesus was referring to to some sort of political or, or personal freedom, he was talking about a deeper transformational freedom. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This, the concept of the idea, he's saying anybody who, who regularly engages in habitual sin is a slave to sin. Then he goes on to say, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak, of what you have, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Here, Jesus is using a familiar analogy of the family structure, like he did in the, the message series that we just wrapped up, talking about the prodigal son. He's using this analogy of the family structure to help them understand that in many households, there were slaves and servants, and then there were sons and daughters. There were those that simply served the house, but they weren't actually a part of the family. And then there were those that had this blood connection to the father. Now, we could have like an entire series of messages based on this passage alone. And I don't have time to like completely go through everything Jesus is saying. But at its simplest, what Jesus is saying is that you are claiming this heritage in this house, but you don't even know the Father. You guys are trapped in a cycle of sin where you are living as slaves and not as sons. So what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to help them see that the only way to God, the only way to experience true freedom is through Jesus. It's not through Abraham. It's not through Moses. It's not through a strong family history of good works. It's not through being involved in a good church, being a part of a strong religion. True freedom comes from our position, not our performance. Amen? That is something that we cannot say loudly enough. True freedom through Jesus comes through our position before him and not our performance for him. Our performance, the way that we act, our behavior, the way that we live does not change our position before Jesus. Our position, being justified, declared righteous in his sight, our position changes our performance. 
Another way that we've said this before is our behavior doesn't necessarily change our belief. It's our belief that changes our behavior. So before we are able to, to break this cycle of sin, before we are able to experience true, lasting freedom in our lives, we need to understand that our source of freedom is in Christ alone. In our position before him as sons and as daughters being justified or declared righteous in his sight. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we inherit from our parents. It is only something found in a life-giving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? True freedom comes from our position, not our performance. Okay, that's great, but you may ask, well, what are we free from? You keep using the term freedom. What are we free from? Well, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul delivers one of the most beautiful passages in the entirety of Scripture. I've heard certain people describe it as if, as if, as if Scripture was a wedding band and the book of Romans is the jewel. Chapter 8 is like the shining peak of it all. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Listen to this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, man, we're dipping into Romans. This is a passage and a couple verses that we could literally have sermons on each verse. But what I want us to do is understand a key principle that Paul is bringing forth. And it's simply this. Jesus frees us from sin's penalty and sin's power. We oftentimes either get those confused or we separate them. But Jesus frees us both from sin's penalty and from sin's power. Paul was trying to get his readers to understand that the law can never do what only Jesus can. Sin and the law, they always lead to death, and the Spirit always brings life. In verse 3, it clearly says that Jesus has condemned sin in the flesh. So through his work on the cross, Jesus effectively kneecapped sin, removing its teeth, right, and its venom, and he left it ineffective. That's why Paul says in verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus paid sin's penalty and he defeated sin's power. So this is huge. This is huge for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. We believe that Jesus has paid for every sin that you have done and every sin that you will do. 
So freedom. Breaking the cycle of sin, experiencing true freedom, we have to believe that the source of this freedom is found in Jesus alone and through his finished work on the cross, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he has freed us from the penalty and the power of sin. So if Jesus is the source and that is the significance, the next step is to stand firm. Galatians 5. Chapter 1, just a simple verse, says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's so short, I'm going to read it again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here, kind of in the original context, what Paul was doing, he's writing to this church in a place called Galatia where, where he, had, he had started this church and they had received the gospel, but there was this other group that had popped up that, that was starting to say that, hey, there are other things that you need to do to be a follower of Jesus. How true is it that even now we have a tendency to add requirements to the gospel? Yeah, Jesus loves, Jesus forgives, but your life needs to look this way. You you need to believe all these things before you're able to belong in this group and, and in this church. We have a tendency to add requirements to the gospel. And what that does is it it continues to trip us up. It only just gets us trapped more and more in this cycle of sin. One of the things that Paul is saying is, hey, once free, always free. Stand firm. Stop adding things to the gospel or making it more difficult than it needs to be. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Right? A yoke being something put, put on the necks of farm animals that would help lead them, right? They're not really in control of where they're going. They're only going where they are led. So often, that's what it feels like to be stuck in this cycle of sin, that we, we somehow have no control over our behavior. And let's just call that out right now. That is simply not true. Stop giving the devil too much credit. God will never put you or I in a situation without a way out. Let's get real. Satan, the enemy, will never make you open a website. Satan, the enemy, will never make you open that bottle. You know who does? Us. Our weakness. It's because sometimes we want to listen to ourselves more than we want to listen to God. What happens, we find ourselves stuck in the cycle of sin, and we we start to give Satan too much credit. Well, I simply can't help myself. You sure can. Turn your computer off. Get that stuff out of your house. Those things that you find yourself continually coming back to, Paul is saying, hey, stand firm. While we certainly need to rely on Jesus, we also have a personal responsibility 
to stand firm and, and to, to willingly not submit anymore to the yoke of slavery. Because what happens is we end up jumping back willingly into the cycle of sin. And then we blame everybody else but us. Does that make sense? Am I, am I? Okay. So this morning, if you feel, if you feel like you are, are in this position where you are stuck in the cycle of sin, you need to remind yourself this morning that the source of true freedom is only found in Jesus. You can, you can get your life together. You can be in this place where you feel healthy and you, you've stopped all these bad habits. But I promise you, you will never experience true freedom unless you have experienced the freedom of Jesus. And it's found in our position before him, not our performance, not our striving, not our good intentions. And as we've been adopted into the family of God as his sons and as his daughters, like, like Paul says to the Roman church, there is now no condemnation as Jesus has freed us from sin's penalty and sin's power. You see, Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations disguised as a religion. It is a life-giving relationship in which we choose to submit to our Savior and the freedom that he so freely offers. For so long, I spent my life in this tension, almost angry, knowing like, okay, God, like I know you have the best for me, but there are so many things that you're telling me I can't do. And it was this long list of rules and regulations, and that's, that's how I started to view my relationship with God. Okay, well, what can I get away with doing? What's not on this list? How many of us have done that? We see something in our life, and we're like, okay, well, let's see what the Bible says about it. Maybe I can do it, maybe I can't. What can I get away with? looking for all sorts of loopholes in Scripture that we can hopefully look like a good Christian and still have some fun. Well, I don't have great news for you. That there are certain things that Scripture definitely doesn't want us to do, that God does have a better way of living for us, and some of that does include not participating in certain things that are, that are either popular or, or predominant in culture. But I promise you that true freedom is not found in a lack of responsibility. It's not found in true independence. It is found on a greater reliance on God. True freedom is found in embracing that relationship that we have with God. The only way that, that I've really been able to think about it this past week, and I've experienced it a couple times with my son, is true freedom for Oakley, he's a year and a half. We have entered into that just dangerous toddler territory. If there's something in front of him, he will climb it and he will try to jump off of it. If I gave him true freedom, he would quickly get more injured than he already has, right? The dude has more bumps and skin knees than any kid I've ever met. True freedom for him right now, where he can just do whatever he wants, is when I'm holding him. When he's just in my embrace, he does this thing where he, he laughs and he tips his head back and he goes, and he just lets himself go and he wiggles around and he giggles and he laughs 
Because in that moment, he's truly free because he knows that I have him. That I'm holding him. That, that, that there's no chance of him falling or getting hurt. It's the same way with God. True freedom Breaking free from the cycle of sin, the grace that we experience from God is not him writing us a blank check to, hey, now that you're free from sin's penalty and sin's power, I trust you to just do whatever you want. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, I've freed you from sin. I've freed you from something and to something. God has freed us into a greater relationship and reliance with him. And experiencing true freedom and breaking free from the cycle of sin is experiencing that greater embrace from our Father. Here at at Thrive City, as we close, we want to be a church that seeks the greater good, right? We, We want to be a church that, that does not simply chase individuality or independence. Hey, do whatever feels best for you. Live out your truth. But what we want to do is we want to be a church that is all about a greater reliance on the presence of God in our lives. We want to be a church that, that comes around one another when we feel stuck in the cycle of sin. A church that doesn't judge one another when we're struggling, but is there for one another through the highs and the lows of life. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but how many of you have been in a church where you feel like that is the place where you have to have everything together? The church is the one place you can't go when you're struggling. I know I have. I want Thrive City Church to be a place where people can walk through those doors when they don't have it all together, when they're rough around the edges, when they're deemed unlovable by everybody else around them. I want this church to be a place where that guy can go after breaking in and he can still show up and feel loved and accepted and valuable in the sight of God. Where he's not judged for his past. I don't want to preach like a whole nother message, but. (laughs) Um, I will say this, starting a church, launching a church, whatever you want to call it. Part of it is like the logistics of where are we going to meet? What are we going to do? And the other part is who are we going to be? What is our DNA? What is our culture? And I feel like I need to do a better job of saying it from the pulpit, but that is who we want to be. We want to be a place where you are able to belong before you believe. I I want us to be okay with there being people sitting in these pews, and there might even be right now, that maybe they don't even believe. They're questioning, they're hurting, they're having a hard time understanding that God does in fact love them, that he has a better way of living for them. We want to be a place where we can welcome them in, where through the way that we live, through the way that we treat them and welcome them, they experience the love of God through us, before they ever hear, me, ever hear me speak a word from Scripture. Does that make sense? 
I want this to be a church that loudly preaches the gospel, not because we're standing on a street corner shouting verses and judgment at people, but because we're going into their homes and their houses, loving them like Jesus loves them. That's who we want to be. We call our church Thrive City Church. Thriving meaning flourishing, being abundant. There is an abundant, a, a, a flourishing, healthy, vibrant life that you can experience with Jesus. And we want our city. We don't want to sleep or rest until every man, woman, and child, regardless of background or belief, has a personal opportunity to respond to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Ah, I'm fired up this week, and it's not just because I haven't gotten any sleep. Got a teething toddler at home. <laughs> but hey, we're gonna close with one last song together. And I hope that you've picked up this theme that we've been singing about this morning, that, that there is a faithfulness of God that, that we can rely on, that we can fall back and relax into like a loving embrace. Remember when you were young and when your parents would just hug you and there was nothing that could touch you, nothing that could harm you because you were safe in your parents' loving arms. That's what the faithfulness of God is like. And the last thing that I'll leave you with, if you hear nothing else that I've said, remember this. That when you feel stuck in the cycle of sin, do not focus on your failures. Focus on God's faithfulness. That's the greatest mistake that we can make because when I focus on myself, when I focus on my failures and how I keep messing up, I will only be disappointed. But when I need to break free from that cycle of sin, you know who never fails, who never messes up, who will never let me down or leave me or forsake me? God. And I trust in his faithfulness. And so the last song that we're going to sing is called Surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. You might feel like you are in the midst of a battle in the cycle of sin that you don't know how you are going to escape or win, but we were going to sing this out. It feels like I am surrounded, but God, I am surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. Amen. You just uh, bow your head with me, close your eyes as we get ready to sing this last song. Maybe you this morning, you've never experienced what it means to, to to have a relationship with Jesus, the source of true freedom. You've never experienced the significance of being free from sin's penalty and power. You've never been able to take that next step and to be able to stand firm. I want to give you the opportunity to begin that, that life-changing relationship, that eternal relationship with God that begins now and lasts for forever. There's no sort of formula or speech that you have to have prepared. It's simply the posture and the position of your heart. And if you want to make that choice, take that next step and that decision this morning. You can just pray along with me. It doesn't have to be out loud. It can be silently within your own heart. Jesus, I thank you for saving me. And Jesus, even though I know that, that, that you are able to save me, God, I feel so stuck. I've messed up. I'm, I'm trapped in my sin and in my brokenness. And I know that only you can save. And God, right now I'm asking you, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my faith in you to break me free from this cycle of sin. Jesus, help me to experience the true freedom and the thriving life that you bring. 
God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you came and you lived a perfect life. I thank you that you died on the cross in my place for the sin that I committed. Jesus, I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you. God, I thank you that that when I feel surrounded, I know that I'm surrounded by you and your faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you. With no one else looking around, it's just me. If that was you this morning, would you be willing to let me know that you prayed that prayer? I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything like that. I just want to be able to follow up with you. Would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, I believe that God loves you so much. Two, I believe that you will never be the same. Three, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you. Thank you for those hands. God, we thank you for these hands. We thank you for these hearts. We thank you for the ways in which you are at work in our church, in this neighborhood. And God, before we go any further, Jesus, we thank you for Stephen. We thank you for this man's life. And even though he made a poor decision to break into our church, God, right now, collectively in front of everybody, we forgive him. We forgive him. Jesus, there is no hurt. There is no hard feeling. And even though we were mad and upset and stressed out this week, we have let that all go. Jesus, we thank you for this man's life and we ask that you would continue to work in it, that you would heal him. God, if we are able to play a part in that man's life, help us to show the best way to show up for him and his family. We thank you, Jesus. Would you stand as we close together?